Hi again, everybody. I, uh, I made a mistake before when I said we end at 9.30. It's not right. It's 9.15. So we'll be finished by 9.15. Um, probably everybody here has heard a lot of Buddhist talks before. And usually when you hear a Buddhist talk, somebody utters the word impermanence. It's a theme of, of Buddhism. Nothing lasts. Everything, everything is fleeting. You've heard that before, right? So that means uh, everything is suffering because we, we want things to last and they don't. And that's why we better practice, because uh, we, won't, we won't do well in this condition of impermanence unless we somehow do something about it. There's a saying in Zen <clears throat> to this effect, practice as if your head were on fire, with that degree of urgency, because this is a... Uh, desperate situation, this being human. <laughs> so this is something I, I'm always talking about, and most Buddhist talks are, if not about this subject, then they reference it. <clears throat> and uh, the other day someone was reminding me, someone that has practiced with me for a long time, was reminding me that years ago, uh, in, a, in a long retreat, I gave a talk where I really scared everybody with impermanence and death and all this, and I had everybody really in a desperate mood. Uh, and the next day, I came in to the retreat. He, he reminded, I didn't remember this myself, but he reminded me. And I started out by saying, well, maybe I, I overdid it yesterday. <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I made you too depressed and upset. And then I read this poem by Wisława uh, Szymborska, the Polish poet. So he gave me a copy of the poem, which I had not thought about for maybe 15 or 20 years. And here's the poem, which is called On Death Without Exaggeration. Do you know about Wisława Szymborska? Do you know her? She's a really great poet. She won the Nobel Prize some years ago, maybe quite a few years ago, but and I don't know if she's still living, but she's a great Polish poet. On death without exaggeration. It can't take a joke, find a star, make a bridge. It knows nothing about weaving, mining, farming, building ships, or baking cakes. In our planning for tomorrow, it has the final word, which is always beside the point. It can't even get things done that are part of its trade. Dig a grave, make a coffin, clean up after itself. Preoccupied with killing, it does the job awkwardly 
without system or skill, as though each of us were its first kill. Oh, it has its triumphs, but look at its countless defeats, missed blows, and repeat attempts. Sometimes it isn't strong enough to swat a fly from the air. Many are the caterpillars that have outcrawled it. All those bulbs, pods, tentacles, fins, tracheae, nuptial plumage and winter fur show that it has fallen behind with its half-hearted work. Ill will won't help, and even our lending a hand with wars and coup d'etat is so far not enough. Hearts beat inside eggs, babies' skeletons grow, seeds hard at work sprout their first tiny pair of leaves, and sometimes even tall trees fall away. Whoever claims that it's omnipotent is himself living proof that it's not. There's no life that couldn't be immortal if only for a moment. Death always arrives by that moment too late. In vain it tugs at the knob of the invisible door. As far as you've come can't be undone. So it's a wonderful poem against death. And I really like the end. As far as you've come can't be undone. I wonder what that sounds like in Polish. <laughs> but it's a true, deeply true thought, don't you think? We're all trying to do something with this little life that we've been entrusted with. And one way or the other, we've all been doing it. And what we've done so far can't ever be undone. Even death doesn't undo it. So the idea that our lives don't matter that much because death wipes them out and you know someday, very soon, we'll all be completely forgotten. That idea doesn't actually go far enough. What we've done cannot be undone. And the effects of what our lives are and will be are indelible. All the bad we've done as well as the good. So that is a sobering thought, don't you think? <coughs> you can't really just coast through life. Uh, what's been done can't be undone. It's also an encouraging thought. That's karma. As far as you've come, can't be undone. So 
this is a room full of people. And pretty much in a room full of people this size, we can guarantee that some of you have had a rough childhood. And I hope that for those of you for whom that's true, I hope things have been looking up. Childhood is really tough when you have parents whose suffering is stronger than their love. And when you think about it, throughout history, now and in the past, maybe even more so in the past, that's mostly been the case. It's tough, you know, life is tough. People have a hard time, even in a, a nice place like around here where we live, where everything is pretty nice compared to much of the world. It's still tough enough. And there are plenty of people whose suffering is stronger than their love, and so when they have children, they just don't have what it takes to overcome their suffering, and they, and they pass along. So there's been a lot of brutal parenting in this world for a long time. So, if you have had loving parents, don't underestimate what a blessing this is. And if you are a loving parent, this is a major contribution to humanity. But childhood without a loving parent or parents can really be brutal. It can be literally a nightmare because in a child's mind everything is so large and so wondrous. So some kind of ordinary suffering is really big. So it's tough to be a child in those circumstances. It's really hard and it, you carry it often for a lifetime. But it's also tough being a young person. Even if your parents didn't give you a hard time, probably the world will. The world is very confusing. And when you're a young person, you're not yet sure entirely who you are or what your place in the world is or what you're going to do about it. And you don't quite yet know how to go about making a life. And not feeling like you have a life yet is really unsettling. And you might suffer a lot. Maybe as a young person you want something very, very much, but you don't know exactly what it is or how to get it. I can remember this, you know. It's not that easy. People think, oh, they're young, they have their whole life ahead of them, you know, and this and that. They're healthy, they're strong. No, it's hard being a young person, very hard. But being a middle-aged person isn't that easy either. <laughs> Maybe you're middle-aged and you don't have a family and you think, how come I don't have a family? I wish I had family. Or maybe you do have a family and a life 
and you're thriving, but it's really busy and it's really complicated. And your spouse and children are extremely hard to deal with, even if you love them, and even harder if you don't, which sometimes happens. And then on top of this, you have to earn a living, and you're really busy, and you're no doubt overcommitted, and you have a sinking feeling that there's more to do than you could possibly do, and you feel like you're not developing yourself as you want to because you're so wrapped up in a world of activity that you can't even find yourself anymore, and you're not even sure whether you're even there anymore. So, being middle-aged is really rough. It really is. But then again, being old is also very hard. <laughs> Little by little, your body stops being reliable, and even your mind may not be the friend to you that it once was. You get confused from time to time. You forget things, even simple things. You get up in the morning, and you're stiff. It takes you maybe half the day to kind of enter into a human body again. Some of you are laughing very hard over this. <laughs> you can walk, yes, but it's an effort. It wasn't like it was when you were young. You'd walk miles. You wouldn't even notice you were walking. Now, when you're older, you know, you're walking and you're thinking, wow, that's good. I walked a mile. That's, it was hard, <laughs> but I did it. Your seeing is not perfect. Your hearing is going. When you get a little sick, you have a little symptom here and there, you go, uh-oh, uh-oh, this might be the one. Even the sniffles, you're thinking, oh boy, what's the, what now? <laughs> so you have a lot of worries over every little ache and pain. And when you're old, you've got to figure, logically, the end is near. Which is kind of scary in a way. But inside, you still feel like you're 35. And it is very hard getting used to the idea that other people think that you're an old person when inside you think you're 35. Also, when you're old, most of your friends and relatives are gone. And your parents have been gone a really long time and now that you're old, you find you actually miss them. And this becomes really embarrassing. You know, the older you get, the more embarrassing it is to admit <laughs> that you miss your parents. Still, in all these stages of life, you're alive. This is the salient fact. And this is really the main point about meditation. When you sit in meditation, in the present moment with the breath, what you're really doing is you're sitting at the baseline of what it feels like to be alive. This is life, being embodied, being conscious, breathing. That's it. 
So whatever stage of life you're in, you are alive. Until you're completely dead, <laughs> you are completely alive the whole time. The five skandhas are in full operation throughout all stages of life. The physical body, the feelings, the perceptions, the desires, the consciousness are always in full operation until they're not. It's operating gloriously the whole time, giving you lots of joy and sorrow every single day. One of my teachers, uh, Dainin Katagiri, a Japanese Zen teacher, has a poem with the lines that say, what a mystery human is. As to this mystery, clarifying, knowing how to live, knowing how to walk with people, demonstrating and teaching, this is the Buddha. My uh, main teacher, my root teacher, for my whole life, uh, is the abbot of the Berkeley Zen Center, Sojin Mel Weitzman Roshi. He's still going, still abbot over there. And uh, a few years ago, uh, one of our friends and Zen colleagues, Sue Moon, who many of you may know, a wonderful Zen teacher herself and writer, uh, Speaking of uh, getting old, uh, she has a book about a year or so, came out about a year or so uh, out called, uh, ago called uh, This is Getting Old, Essays About Aging. It's a wonderful book, whether you're aging or not. Who is not aging? Anybody here not aging? Uh, it's a great book. Anyway, she uh, interviewed Mel and put together this little pamphlet where he talks about his life. So I want to uh, quote to you uh, from this little book. This is, this is my teacher talking. Our practice of the middle way doesn't stimulate a lot of drama. It's more subtle. My own way is to be watchful and to give people space and be ready to respond at the right moment. Everyone's practice is different, so I have to relate to everyone in a different way, according to where they are. Americans have a tendency to go from one thing to another, looking for something new. Practice helps us to appreciate what we already have. If you have faith in your practice, you realize there is no need to try to gain something. The practice is helping you to let go and trust who you are. If you simply devote yourself to the one thing, then that will lead you to whatever it is that you need. But if you are always looking around, you keep postponing the opportunity to go deeper. Sometimes people come to the Zendo, begin practicing and seem to be into it, and then suddenly they're gone. Sometimes if they're young, they have something else they have to do or experience before they can actually practice consistently. At Tassajara, 
our, our monastery, there are a lot of young people who have just gotten out of college. I often tell them, you know, you may have to go out in the world. You just got out of college. You have to see what it's like out there and experience whatever your education was supposed to prepare you for. Then you'll feel more settled about coming back to practice. A person might leave for a long time and come back when they're ready, after they've experienced their life in the world. For older people, it's harder physically, but often they're more settled emotionally, and in that way, practice is actually easier for them. Zazen, which is uh, the traditional word we use for Zen meditation practice, which is understood in a way to be not exactly meditation, but more than that. Zazen is not about making you a better person or fixing your problems, even though that does happen. As you become more in tune with things, improvements in your life do happen, but you don't practice for that reason. If you practice in order to make things happen, it doesn't work. It's an odd paradox, but it actually is true in, in reality. You have to be able to let go, and then everything is a kind of surprise. Zazen is simply an offering of yourself and a letting go of conditioning so that you can allow freshness to be present in your life. We don't practice in order to get a particular result. That's what Suzuki Roshi was talking about. And Mel, Mel was a student of Suzuki Roshi's. You, you know about Suzuki Roshi, right? The, the one who, the famous teacher who wrote Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, and so on. He was the founder of our Zen centers. There are many forms of spiritual practice, and everybody has their own way. It's not up to me to decide whether someone is doing it right or wrong. If people don't like the formal practice we do at the Berkeley Zen Center, there are plenty of other places to practice. But if someone wants to do this practice of Zazen, they should follow our way and we will help them. I'm trying to keep our practice pure. We're not doing it just any old way, because then we wouldn't actually be doing it. As soon as we start adapting the practice to what everybody wants, we find out that this one wants to do it this way and that one wants to do it that way, and pretty soon we're just accommodating everybody and nothing is left of the practice. You can't bend the practice to fit your idea. You have to soften your mind to fit the practice. You have to walk through the small door. It's not up to you to determine how the practice goes. It's up to you to conform to the practice. When you can do that, the practice becomes your own. So that's the spirit of my old teacher. I, I met him in 1970. That's 40 years ago, right? Can you imagine that? How many? 42, yeah. That's right, I met him 42 years ago. So some people who know him and know me might think that I'm different in many ways from him, or I do things differently. But 
uh, it doesn't feel that way to me. Actually, I think I'm very much like him. I was quite young uh, when I met him and started my practice. And I think I recognize myself in him. So it was very natural and organic for me to form my character around his way of practice, even though I didn't know at the time that I was doing that. It turned out that I was actually not the person I thought I was. I had a lot of theories about that, but it turned out that they were all wrong. I was talking with someone the other day about how odd a life of practice goes. It's so different from the way we've been conditioned to look at our lives. In the culture that we have been brought up in, we see ourselves as intelligent, autonomous individuals who make our own lives, think our own thoughts. We decide who we are and what we're going to do. We decide what life we're going to make, and then we go out and make it. If it works out, then we're happy. If it doesn't work out, we're disappointed and we keep trying. And we take all of this for granted. But actually, this whole idea about who we think we are is a pretty recent invention. I was here at Spirit Rock a couple weeks ago doing a retreat with uh, Wes Nisker and I were doing it together and he said something that really impressed me. He said, uh, if you were to ask, would have asked a European peasant, or even like the king of France or something, two, three hundred years ago, a question like, well, what would you like to do with your life? How do you see your life? They would look at you like you were crazy. Like, what are you talking about? It would have been a question that would not have made any sense to them at all. Maybe it doesn't make any sense to us either, even though we think it does. In other words, this idea that we all have about what it means to be human and have a life is a kind of recent experiment. It's not at all clear that this idea is workable for a life. Now that Buddhist practice has become rational and mainstream, it certainly wasn't when I began. It was a wacky thing to do. Now it's quite rational and mainstream. Now psychologists recommend it. It's very possible that you go to your therapist and they'll say, have you considered meditating? Why don't you go to Spirit Rock? I think it would really do you good. Maybe that's why a lot of you are here, because your therapist <laughs> told you to come. Because your therapist was reading all the brain studies that corroborate the many beneficial effects of meditation practice. So it looks like a good option for helping us to shape the life that we're all after. But when you actually enter the path and go down the road a little way, 
And then maybe wake up one day and to your surprise realize that you're actually committed to this. When that happens, a whole other life comes into view. You find that you have conformed your life, formed your life, literally, around the practice. And you actually begin to forget about the life you thought you wanted, the life you thought you were making, the life you were hoping for, or the life you thought you should have been having. And instead, practice becomes your life. And your life becomes your practice. Practice is no longer something to enhance your life or help it along. It is your life. One day you kind of realize this. And you lose the life you thought you wanted or the life you thought you had. But this is very liberating. This is really great. It's wonderful to disappear into your practice. It's wonderful not to have to worry anymore about being somebody or something, which is such a struggle, you know? And you no longer have to work overtime to avoid life's difficulties. People work their entire lives to avoid life's difficulties, and they never are successful at that. You can give up that effort altogether. You don't have to defend or protect yourself anymore. This is great. I can't tell you how great this is. It's not dramatic. It's not colorful. It's not a big deal. It's very subtle. Maybe nobody even notices. So from the point of view of the life we want, the life we think we should have, I'm not entirely sure that practice is a good thing. So if you're new to this, think it over. Maybe you should stop now. And maybe we're actually being quite irresponsible to be sitting here doing nothing. You know, we're not even getting enlightened. We're just sitting here. <laughs> or maybe we're trying to get enlightened, but we have to admit it does not seem to be working very well. <laughs> when I was young, I really thought, Getting enlightened was a great idea, but now I'm not so sure. So maybe we shouldn't really be doing this. Maybe we should be doing something worthwhile, something useful, instead of just sitting around. And, you know, if you think it's bad around here, think about how it is in Zen, where you have robes, bowls, incense, bowing, chanting, 
Do we really need all this? <laughs> I mean, at least you could say, well, maybe meditation is a good thing, but it's hard to make good arguments for all that. I mean, is it really worth all that trouble and expense? Yeah, get your head shaved and keep it shaved. Yeah, that's right. Of course, it saves a lot of money on haircuts. I have not, I, I've been a, a priest for 30 some years and I have not calculated how much money I've saved on haircuts, but I bet it's a considerable amount. I could go on quite a vacation. So, but despite all this, uh, Actually, in my heart, you know, I have no doubt about doing it because this is what I received from my teacher. This is the way I've practiced my entire life. And he didn't make it up. He received it from his teacher who also practiced his entire life this way and he didn't make it up either. So there's something, you know, really wonderful in practicing a way of life that you didn't make up and somebody didn't make up that just is handed down person to person through the generations. So it's not a matter of this is good, I think it's the best, you should all do it. It's a matter of this is just my life, there's no doubt. All I can do is keep going this way. If, all of a sudden, circumstances were to radically change, then I know I would continue my practice and I would respond in whatever way I could. Maybe suddenly there was a fire in my house and all my robes burned up and somehow or other there were no more robes to be had anywhere. Then I would have some other clothes and I would find a way to practice. And maybe somehow if they passed a law and made zazen illegal, would be interesting, you know. No more sitting in silence. It's against the law now. It would be hard to enforce, right? I was, I was sitting, I was thinking. I wasn't meditating, honest. <laughs> Don't arrest me. Still, even if there was such a law, there would be a way to practice. It would be the same practice. In other words, this is beyond my choice and it's beyond my preference. It's beyond my decision and it's beyond circumstances. Although when I was young, I had no idea of this. The truth of the matter is, my life has always been extremely limited, just like yours. <laughs> so it's a good thing to embrace that limitation that is our life. And in embracing it, without any reservations or any illusions, to find within that very limited life something absolutely unlimited, something completely satisfying. Although, as I say, uh, practice now might appear to be a rational lifestyle choice in the context of the world that we have now, in fact, the life of spiritual practice has always been deeply 
countercultural. People my age, a lot of us, we were, there used to be a phenomenon called the counterculture. Maybe some of you remember this. They would talk about the counterculture as if it was actually something going on. Now there is no counterculture anymore. There's just the culture, the juggernaut keeps rolling along and it just sucks up everything in its wake. But in those days, there was an indigestible counterculture. And we came to uh, Zen practice in that spirit, and, and the people who founded Spirit Rock began their Buddhist practice in that spirit too. But now the Zen Center is an you know, eminent San Francisco institution, and Spirit Rock and IMS are eminent cultural institutions in their area. And we're all proud of this. But the secret is that practice is still countercultural. It proposes a different way to live, different from the norm, different goals, different activities, different purposes. And the life of the spirit, religious life, has always throughout history been like that even though by the sort of odd reversal that seems to be what history is made of, these countercultural institutions end up being pillars of the societies in which they exist once they become successful. At least that was true until recently. But counterculture is good, I think, because the world is pretty crazy. I think any person who would make a dispassionate and objective evaluation of the condition of the world would have to say, this is deeply crazy. So one needs some countercultural input for personal survival. The world is a little too crazy for us to be swept up in it without needing some balance. So personally we need it, and also the world needs it. The world needs a little bit of a dose of this countercultural perspective. So here's a Zen story. Deshan was the great master of the Diamond Sutra. He knew the text and all the commentaries. And whenever he traveled, he always traveled around with a big wooden backpack full of texts of the Diamond Sutra and its commentaries. Once, when he was on pilgrimage, he stopped at a tea shop to get some tea and cakes. I'm tired out and I need something to refresh my mind, he said to the old woman selling the tea cakes. And she noticed his pack and she said, what's that? And he explained to her that he was one of the premier experts in all of China on the Diamond Sutra. And she said, oh, well in that case, I have a question for you. And he said, please ask. Ask me anything. She said, the Diamond Sutra says that past mind cannot be grasped, 
future mind cannot be grasped and present mind is also ungraspable. This being so, what mind can you refresh? <laughs> Deshan didn't know what to say. Uh, later, he went to study with his Zen master and eventually got over himself and he burned up all of his Diamond Sutra texts and was happy just to live without being an expert anymore. As I read to you a moment ago from my teacher, he said, Zazen is simply an offering of yourself and a letting go of conditioning so that you can allow freshness to be present in your life. Zazen is simply an offering of yourself and a letting go of conditioning so that you can allow freshness to be present in your life. We don't practice to get a particular result. That's what Suzuki Roshi was talking about. Those are really great words. Deeply countercultural words. An offering. If you take the current New Yorker magazine and today's New York Times, I bet you anything that you will not find the word offering in either one of those publications. If you check every word, search it somehow, I bet you you wouldn't find the word offering. It's a kind of unusual word in our world to make an offering. In other words, not to do something important or purposeful or worthwhile or useful but simply to make an offering, like you would put flowers on an altar. And to make an offering of your life. Think of that. To just offer your life freely, instead of possessing it. What would that be like, to live in life that was an offering instead of a possession? And to allow who allows anything now, you know? It's all about producing or creating or forcing or making or pushing, but simply to allow something. As he says, to allow freshness to come into your life. Not to make that happen, but to let it happen. Even Buddhism can become a big hindrance. Even good Buddhist philosophy or any philosophy or anything we determine we are or want to believe in or need to advance in the world or our life, all of that can be a great hindrance. True refreshment for ourselves and our world goes beyond that, beyond the personal 
an interpersonal debate about what we want, what we believe, what is right or wrong, true refreshment comes with offering and with allowing. And the truth is, that's what we're doing on our cushions. We're trying to learn what it's like to let go of our need to do and be something important and learn what it's like to just accept that we've been given this life and that its nature is that it is an offering. And the only way we can live it in peace is to allow it to unfold moment after moment. That's what we're trying to learn on our cushions. And since we're all living in this crazy world that's telling us something else, we have to keep learning that over and over again. We can't really kind of get that point and then go on to other things because in five minutes we'll be spun around again. We have to keep on learning this and we have to help each other in that effort. So, if you want, you can take these beautiful words as koans. You can sit on your meditation cushion and when you breathe in, you can breathe out and just say to yourself, offering, offering, offering. Practice that one word, offering, or you can say to yourself, allow, 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 every breath. And hold those words in your heart and make your whole meditation practice. Nothing but offering and nothing but allowing. So that's what I wanted to tell you about tonight. Thank you. So we have a little bit of time, maybe about 10 or 15 minutes. So in case anybody has any questions or comments, we can talk for a little bit. So I I'm inviting you to speak, anybody who wants to. Just uh, make yourself known. Yes? I'm afraid you have to repeat that so everybody could hear oh, it. Oh, this is not about Buddhism, but in a sense it is... Um, I guess an attempt to make change. The um, about a thousand people have been uh, on Wall Street since Saturday, um, having a a demonstration that they're very, very um, unhappy and definitely demanding a change in in the Wall Street practices that have put us where we are. Hmm. And um, they got a lot of support from passerbys and people that they inconvenienced getting to work today, but oh, they're, they're I didn't optimistic. Hear about that. No, you don't on no, no. corporate sponsors news. You won't no. hear. <laughs> I have a son who's an who's a artist in New York, and he has a project, uh, performance art on Wall Street, which is called Summer of Change. And he goes on Wall Street and he gives away money <laughs> to the people on Wall Street. Sometimes he calls it summer of change because he gives them only change. <laughs> like, and, and, he, and he raises the money. Like he, he has an, in, an internet fundraising drive. 
raising money to give to people. So like one time we'll go there and give away 10,000 pennies. And the next time we'll give away like 5,000 quarters. And he just sort of like does a performance and throws money. It's really something. It's, if, you go, if you look for Summer of Change online, you could probably see videos of his performances. He wears a big coin mask. Looks like a, like a half dollar or something, big coin mask. Yes, people are getting a little annoyed. It's true. <laughs> more, and more than a little. They haven't left yet. Anything else, please? Yeah. Maybe wait for the mic. Yeah. Um, it's hard for me not to want to achieve something, though. Uh, I kind of feel like once I get to a certain accomplishment, then I'll always have had that. And then I can let go of desiring it. Uh -huh. But I'm, it's probably more likely that I'll start desiring the next thing. But uh, in terms of career and things like that, which I think we're very focused on in the United States, but I have a career in the arts, and uh -huh. there's this want to get to this level that I want to get to. Uh, and it kind of drives me crazy thinking about uh, not getting there. And then yesterday, I was in the gym, and I kind of had a, this moment of, what if it never happens? And what if this were everything that you got? And I kind of calmed down, because it's not so horrible. No, you know? you're fine, right? Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. I still want what I want, but, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, and I keep working towards it, uh -huh. but uh, I'm starting to get a little calmer. Maybe it's just that I'm getting a little older, and... Uh, Mm -hmm. So it, it's been yeah. an interesting process. Well, I mean, uh, of course, uh, desire arises in us. It's, not, it's, not, it's just natural that we want different things. Um, so it's not a matter of eliminating all desire so that we would go forth in some zombie-like condition where uh, we get to the street and we say, turn right, turn left, who knows? <laughs> no, we're going to turn whatever way we are going to turn. It's just a matter of knowing where those desires come from and putting them in a context that makes sense. Not becoming obsessed and spun around by our desires, but really being able to know where desire comes from and how to handle it and what to do with it. So, of course, we always have to do something. You, you can't be a, a living is doing something. So it's good to do things that are good and to push forward toward something, just know that it might not happen, or you might end up going in another direction. And, uh, and it's just life pushing you on. It's not, I need, I want, it's life pushing me forward. If you have talent in the arts, your talent pushes you forward into doing activity, and you should do great activity with a lot of joy, and making effort is wonderful. But that's different from, I need this, or I'll bust! And I need it tomorrow, or I'm miserable, right? That's unhappy making. And plus, it doesn't help you. It's funny. I feel like yeah. I only need it eventually. I just, need yeah, it. I yeah. just don't want to get to the end and not have had it happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I almost don't care when. Yeah. 
Well, when you get to the end, it'll be <laughs> fine. <laughs> it'll be fine. Yeah. Another hand back there. Uh, yes, uh, my thought is that uh, as I get older, um, I think in the later stages of life, some of these things, for me anyway, seem to naturally dissipate or go yeah. away, uh, and that, uh, which is a good thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're no longer striving for this career, uh, and it's kind of nice when that happens, uh, I think, when you no longer have those because it eliminates a lot of frustration over what you don't have if you don't really, it's not important anymore. Uh, at some point, uh, it seems like those things matter less and less. Um, yeah. So anyway, I'd, so what I'm saying is maybe it's uh, go through different stages in life and um, as there are t times for certain things to occur. You know, middle age, you're, it seems it's natural to be striving for career and advancement and all that sort of thing. But just uh, naturally, as one gets older, those things become less and less important and uh, kind of fade away. Which uh, yeah, no, I think maybe a blessing that can be true. <laughs> Some, sometimes, uh, uh, if you're older, you can be depressed and frustrated, but at its best, that's right. I mean, and that's a wonderful feature of aging, mm. is there's more freedom and there's more gratitude. And that's a beautiful aspect of, of aging. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. But I think that those things can also be present earlier in life. We don't have to wait uh, <laughs> for old age to have those feelings. <laughs> and that's one of the fruits of practice, is that you know when we really uh, practice with our whole hearts, we can feel those things um, throughout our lives, mm. in, in different ways, but throughout our lives. But that's wonderful. It's a great, it is a great blessing, and I'm happy that you Well, I didn't start way. practicing until late in life, so yeah. maybe that's something to do with it. Yeah, yeah. wonderful. Yeah. yeah, thanks. Sorry, didn't see you. You were talking about offering, and I wasn't sure what you meant. And just now, I was thinking, oh, were you, did you mean your life as an offering, like no matter what you're doing? So, if you're teaching, looking at it as an offering, or if you're working you know, wherever you work, uh -huh. whatever you do, that it's an offering as opposed to, um, uh, this is what I do, and I do this so that I make money, and, you know, yeah. is, th is that what you meant? Or? Well, I meant both. I did mean that, and I, and I also meant that in meditation practice, when you sit on your cushion, you feel your life force as an offering. Oh, your life force. So you I feel, it's almost like you, 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 you instead of, sitting there thinking about this or that or trying to do this or that on your cushion, you sit there and you have the immediate feeling, this moment of my life 
actually is an offering. It feels that way to me. I'm not holding on to it. I'm not trying to get anything out of it. I'm just feeling my life in this moment as an offering. And it's not even a thought exactly. It's, it's just a feeling of sitting there. And then also, that, that then leads to what you just said. Then you can get up from your cushion and feel like your whole life is an offering. I think that part of the uh, importance of meditation to our spiritual practice is that it makes things that we would want to think could be true into a felt truth. So we could have an idea. I want to make my work an offering, right? We could think that that's a good idea. And we could believe in that idea. And we could think that that's what we're doing. But we might not actually be living that way, right? It would be an idea. It would be a kind of ideology. And so working on these things on the cushion makes it more than an ideology, more than a thought, more than an idea. It makes it something that we actually feel and live and live in some truthful way. But, but it would be that, yeah. Because when I first heard you say it, I, I thought you were talking about, you know, just sitting, practicing, that that was an offering. And, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but sort of what came up for me was like, how could that be an offering? I'm not doing, I'm not, yes. I'm not, uh, I'm just sitting there. I'm, maybe I'm, you know, in some ways I know meditation has helped me uh, to, to be more peaceful, yeah. to be more accepting. Yeah. And, you know, lots of things that I've learned, but I don't know why. It just, this feeling of like, how could that, how could I be an offering? Yeah. Well, I guess I can't explain. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like feeling, uh, maybe if you look at a flower sometime, yeah. you look at a flower. Mm. And looking at the flower, you feel that that flower is an offering. Mm. The flower growing out somewhere mm. is an offering. Mm -hmm. You feel that life is an offering. Life itself is an offering. You know, you wake up in the morning, the whole world appears. Where, where did that come from? What did you ever do to deserve this world? It's offered to you, right? Mm -hmm. And you are offered to the world. You yourself, your life is offered to the world. So you can feel that way. You can feel gratitude for life sitting on your cushion. And you can feel that your life is an offering on the cushion. So anyway, that's what I was trying to say. If it doesn't make sense to you, that's okay. Not everything everybody says makes sense to everybody else, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So. No, that, that helps. Thank you. Yeah, okay. Sorry if it was confusing. Yeah. Um. Listening to people talk and talking about how they say, I feel I need to accomplish or I feel that I need to strive to meet, reach someplace. I was there and have been and continually am. And what's my work and what I understand helps me the most right now is what I realize is those aren't my actual feelings and beliefs. And I do strive and I do make a, something happen and I accomplish something. And then I don't feel good. And I that was my pattern and I understood I am now understanding and I'm able to realize that those are things put upon me by culture and parents and yeah. and and 
And so I do them and I don't feel good. And I was thinking something's wrong with me. I still need this. What's I need to do this. And what my work now is, is to sit here and say, no, I really just want to sit here. Mm. I don't want to strive. I don't. Mm. And that is breaking that and, and, and being able to make it other, first of all, helps me separate it and then say, okay, that's actually what I'm pushing against. It's mm-hmm. not pushing against not wanting anything. It's pushing against what I think I'm supposed to want. Mm-hmm. Helps me break that cycle and feel more at peace to say, I really just want to sit here. Mm-hmm. I really just want to be here and appreciate what I have. And mm-hmm. that isn't what I've been taught. That isn't what I've, or that I'm something that I, my life is something is not what I've been taught, but it's true, but it's the truth, but you have to find the step away and see it as it's put upon you. It's not that you're doing it. Mm-hmm. So seeing you're me. seeing what in you is conditioning. That's not necessarily serving you or making you happy and what in you is coming from a more authentic place that really feels right. And, and it isn't that conditioning is bad. The question is, uh, what serves your life? So you're saying, the conditioning was no good for me. I wasn't happy when I was following my conditioning and now I'm beginning to see through it and, I, and I'm finding more happiness and more ease in living. And that's right. I think practice will help us in that way. And it sounds like your meditation practice is helping you in just that way. So that's beautiful. It's work. Yeah, 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 it is. It is. Wonderful. Thanks. There's a couple of rows behind you. Yeah. Uh, First of all, I'd like to thank you. Uh, I came here tonight with um, a certain challenge that I'm dealing with, and then you you gave me the answer to work with it. You know, it's still here, but the, when you spoke about offering, it really made me understand. And uh, the way I understood to offer is uh, to give myself fully for the, to that moment and to that situation. Yes, exactly. And um, because I do realize that I, I keep saving myself. You know, like let's say I'm walking to a friend's house for a visit. I'm expecting to get to my friend's house, but in a way I'm kind of blind and I'm just going to open up when I really get to my friend's house, right? But <laughs> maybe in a way I had crossed many people and I yeah. had not been able to see them because I'm saving that special moment to see my friend. Right. But I realized it's like I can walk and my walk can be an offering up because I can give myself fully to every step that I take in every person that I meet. Mm-hmm. And that's my offering and not to n- anybody, but just, yeah, offer myself fully to, to life. That's because it. Every, keep, every moment, yeah, all the time. I, I understand that I, I yeah. keep holding to leave until something happens. So until yeah, then, yeah. oh, no, I'm not leaving. And then something good yeah. happens. Oh, now I can leave. But no, I can live yeah. every second. Every moment can exactly. be a yeah. full life. Yeah. So uh, I want to thank you because, um, yeah, you gave me the tool to work with good, something good. that I, I've been struggling, yes, when, struggling well, yeah. with. Thank you. I'll start living when such and such happens. Yes. Right. <laughs> No, no, why don't you start now? <laughs> Thank, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I think, I think that's, the, that's the end. We, it's 9.15, so we'll stop there. Thank you, everybody. It's really nice to see everybody again. Please take care of yourselves. Goodbye. <laughs>